The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We lift up our hearts as we gather here in the nave of Marsh Chapel in the praise of God. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as university chaplain for community life here at Marsh Chapel. I bear greetings on behalf of our dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, who will be with us again next week. This week, we gather for the second installment of our Bach Cantata series, this year celebrating the Easter Cantatas of Bach and the theme of resurrection. We gather today in a spirit of resurrection. Even as we gather this morning in a spirit of mourning, in the wake of senseless tragedy and violence in Paris, in Beirut, in Baghdad, and beyond. Even here, Bach meets us in prayer. Highly praised Son of God, let it not be displeasing to you that we now before your throne lay down a petition. Remain our light, because the darkness breaks forth. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 11 through 25. And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. When, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. I invite you to read responsibly verses from Psalm 113 with the antiphon. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time on and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? 
who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. Praise the Lord. Now, beloved, I invite you to stand for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. Glory to you, O Lord. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Dr. Jurat. Dr. Neville. Dr. Jurat, Vox Cantata, Bleib bei uns, or Stay with Us. Worry is a very old theme, the need for light. And it's hard to think of a time when the troubles call for light more than now. The incomprehensible violence, the tragic deaths of innocence, the rage that knows no containment of the terrorist attacks has cast the world into darkness. They were acts of war by a regime that does not distinguish its politics from religion, 
though by no means are those acts of war condoned by other Muslim regimes. Will France, of necessity, declare war on the Islamic State? How can that war be fought if the Islamic State soldiers live among people whom they have conquered? Will NATO go to the aid of France? Will the U.S.? How can our Middle Eastern neighbors in Europe and the U.S. not be under suspicion? Will such suspicion turn friends into enemies? These are political and moral problems, but the depths of the troubles press against the very limits of our being, and so these are religious problems for all sides, including us. Where is the light in these increasingly dark times? Now, the metaphor of light arises on the first page of the Bible as the very first thing God says, let there be light, and there was light. This implies that the darkness is the primordial, the aboriginal situation. The narrative also implies that prior to speaking, God is just part of the darkness. Presumably, God could have eliminated darkness altogether, but instead arranged the light and the darkness in the alternation of day and night. So the darkness is always with us, or just around the corner. In biblical times, there was much debate among both Jews and Christians over whether God and God's speech are one thing or two. On the one hand, in the human analogy, we ordinarily say that a speaker and the speaker's speech are one. A human being is an agent or actor, and speaking is one kind of acting. Perhaps we can conceive of God on the analogy of such an agent existing in some sense in the darkness before light as an agent ready and able to speak, but not just yet. The difficulty with this analogy is that the creation of the world, beginning with light distinguished from darkness, is such a vast change that it is difficult to think of God as an agent at all without some equally primordial world to work on. God is radically changed by becoming a speaking God whose first words create light. On the other hand, many people have allowed that there are two things, God not speaking prior to creation, and the divine word that comes into being as God speaks and, in fact, structures the whole of creation. This view was elaborated in the sayings of Lady Wisdom in the book of Proverbs, who affirmed that she was present with God at the creation, but complained that people did not pay enough attention to her and did not live in the light of God's creative word, which had moral connotations. The prologue of the Gospel of John lays this out in a familiar way. You know this text. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people, the light 
shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. According to John, Jesus was the incarnation of the original divine word spoken by God in creation and the condition for all things created, a word characterized as light. The word of God came into being as God spoke it in creation. It was phrased for human beings in the Sinai covenant, though too many people rejected it. It was present in common sense as Lady Wisdom, but too many people ignored it. So then God caused this word to become incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth. This is the foundation of John's theology, and it generally won the day in Christian theology overall. To say that Jesus is the light of the world, in the sense Box Libretto meant it, is to say that he is the embodiment of the divine word in creation that begins by saying, let there be light. Dr. Jarrett, Bach seems to buy into this identification of Jesus with the light of creation. Although in our cantata, there still seems to be a troubling darkness for which the light of Christ needs yet to cover. Is this right? Well, the second in our series of Easter cantatas is called Blight bei uns den Essel Abendwerden, or Stay with us for the evening comes. Scored for choirs of oboes, strings, and voices, Blight bei uns draws both title and subject from the 24th chapter of the book of Luke, in which Jesus appears to a group of disciples on the road to Emmaus. As we have come to expect from Bach, The full range of human experience and emotion is everywhere explored and considered. And as much as Bach acknowledges human frailty, the doubt of our conviction, and the daily crisis of faith, he provides clear paths for musical and theological reconciliation. Consider the Bach Passion settings, in particular the St. Matthew Passion, which we will perform later this year in February. Bach provides an astonishingly accurate mirror of our human circumstance. He knows how each day we become a Judas or a Peter or a Pilate. And in today's cantata, we connect instantly with the hapless disciples who encounter Jesus on the road to Emmaus, stricken with grief that their leader has been tragically cut down in the events just days before in Jerusalem Their eyes remain blind to the true identity of Jesus until he breaks bread with them, a theological reminder of Christ's presence in the sacrament. But references to the Luke 24 story remain allegorical in Bach's 1725 cantata for the second day of Easter. Here, Bach focuses on the sadness, the fear, and even the anxiety at the loss of Jesus. In a sense... Bach connects us to the end of the John Passion as Jesus has been laid to rest in the tomb. With sarabond rhythms and a melancholy C minor, the final chorus, Root Bowl, lays an elegiac garland on the heavy tombstone. In Cantata VI, the same C minor music reveals the crisis of loss with low pulsing string parts, all of which yield to a frenetic fugue depicting both the disarray of the Jesus movement but also a growing fear as darkness encloses. 
The progression of arias begins with a courtly petition for Christ to stay longer, stay with us. With alto oboe and alto singer, the entreaty is marked by both an upward ascent in the vocal line to depict high praise and a descending whole tone to depict the word for darkness, finsterness. The central movement is scored for one of Bach's favorite obligato instruments, and it's a little cello, piccolo cello, with extraordinary writing that frames a simple chorale tune sung by the sopranos that reminds us that the word and sacrament are indeed the light. The final aria scored for tenor and strings reminds us that the image of Christ and his passion are the surest way to avoid the pathways of sin. The theology, of course, is that even though Jesus ascends to heaven, having fulfilled the prophecy, we are shored up by the Holy Spirit and the promise of Jesus' return. But the challenge of daily faith is very difficult without the true presence of Jesus. How will we continue? How can we remain Christ-like in our living without his daily presence? The answer is the renewal, affirmation, and cleansing purity of word and table, table and word. Though we perform an Easter cantata today, the extraordinary need for the light of Christ to dispel the gloom and shroud of sin calls us to penitence. In the timeless words of the psalmist, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yet we seem to have little light for our path these days. This is why it is so important continually to advert to those things that bear the light, even in dark times. The sacrament of the table habituates us to gratitude and hope, even when we don't pay much attention. The word in scripture, in preaching, and of course in the founding structure of the world solicits our attention to the important things, even when it is obscurely understood mumbled and apparently incoherent. What are the important things in a crisis, riding on blind terrorism? To remember that our first thought about enemies is that they need to be loved by us. To be kind always, which includes sharing the grief of those under attack. To contain rage, with disciplined moderation, to insist against all our darkened passions that moral and religious judgment belong only to God, to understand that what little light we have allows us only fallible plans and purposes in matters of war and peace, to wait in hope for the joy that comes in the morning when the light of creation dawns again. Amen.
hat die Dunkelheit an vielen Orten überhand genommen. Woher ist aber dieses Kommen? Bloß daher, weil sowohl die Kleine als die Großen nicht in Gerechtigkeit vorn dir, o oh Gott, gewandelt und wieder ihre Christenpflicht gehandelt. Drum hast du euch den Leuchter umgestoßen. Oh. 
Friends, we remember this morning that Bach gave us God's word, Mozart gave us God's laughter, and Beethoven gave us God's fire, and God gave us music that we might pray without words. We are grateful this morning for Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, the Marsh Chapel Choir and Collegium for their leadership in prayer of us this morning. We are grateful also for the presence, voice, and leadership of our guest preacher, the Reverend Dr. Robert Cummings Neville, former Dean of Marsh Chapel and prior to that of the Boston University School of Theology. Thank you, Bob, for being here and for guiding us in meditation and reflection in these dark days. We note that those who would like are welcome to gather tomorrow for consultation with chaplains and counselors in the wake of the events of the weekend. Downstairs in the Marsh Room at 5 p.m. tomorrow evening, Monday, November uh, 16th. We also note that next week here at Marsh Chapel, uh, next Friday here at Marsh Chapel, is the Inner Strength Gospel Choir Concert at 7.30 p.m. Friday evening here in the nave. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite your meditation on Nun bitten wir den Heiligen Geist by Dietrich Buxtehude. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
God of all the nations, we are grateful for your good gifts, for people who impact our lives, for music that touches our hearts, for work that sustains us, and for the safe space and time to worship you. We offer back to you these first fruits of our time, talent, and treasure. Bless them for service and healing in our world. In your precious name we pray. Amen.
highly praised Son of God, let it not be displeasing to you that we now before your throne lay down a petition. Remain our light, because the darkness breaks forth. And let us remember that life is short, and we do not have too much time to be the light, to gladden the hearts of those who walk the way with us. So be swift to love, and make haste to be kind. The blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, abide and remain with you now and always. Amen.